everybody. Welcome to the Tech Trends Podcast, where we discuss the latest manufacturing technology research and news. I am Benjamin Moses, the Director of Manufacturing Technology, and I'm here with... Stephen Lamarca, AMT's Technology Analyst. How's it going, Steve? It's going well. Ben, how's your... Uh, what's this? Our, our second, third week? Uh, feels like week? feels like an eternity. It, it feels like <laughs> our second month yeah. of working from home. Um, you know, and again, you have the kids, so I can't imagine how, that, how much, how crazy that's going. I'm so jealous of all the people tweeting, uh, the 30 year olds tweeting that are, uh, that have no kids and no wife. I'm just so jealous of those people. <laughs> and it's oh, not, man. it's not that I, I don't enjoy Amelia. It's so for, she wakes up at six in the morning, which irritates me. I'd like to sleep in a little bit. So when she goes to bed at uh, 8.30, it's nonstop of us just staring at each other. She's asking me to do something like, I got work oh, to do. Wow. I'm, I'm trying to do work. I it's impossible. Gotcha. And plus, I need to teach her her remote learning stuff from kindergarten. So yeah. it's just time management, man. It's just. I, I can imagine. It's, the struggle is real. But how, how about you, man? What's going on this week? So I, I, I have to admit, man, I've gotten a lot better at working from home. Good. Um, I'm not going to lie to anybody and say that, oh, I can be just as productive as home as I am in the office. No, <laughs> I can be almost as productive as at home as I am in the office. You know, the office is just ergonomically set up to be productive at work. Right. Like, you know, you know, you, the, the, your desk chair was made to be sit on, sat on and looking at a computer or writing on papers yep. as for a couch is not, a couch <laughs> is meant for lounging. You, know? you don't have uh, an office in your apartment, do you? No. Yeah. Why would you? No. <laughs> right now I'm on a love seat and I have a TV dinner tray that has the computer and microphone <laughs> on it. And this is my desk. But I, I all that being said, I've been wildly productive. Um, but there are also like some perks that I'm kind of like warming up to. Uh, to working from home. Yeah. And obviously I wanted to be to, to get used to being productive at home first. So my productivity is probably not at it's it's at peak. Not at max. I haven't tried taking it all the way. Okay. But uh I'm I'm definitely peaking on my work from home productivity. And what's nice about that is like, you know, you can wake up an hour before your first meeting. <laughs> sure. And get you know you don't have to brush your teeth. <laughs> for a, a, a webex meeting for a zoom meeting true you know um nobody can smell your breath over the internet which is amazing <laughs> uh you might have to brush your hair you might have to put on a shirt don't have to put on pants that's true <laughs> <laughs> but, but it's just you know I'm, I'm i'm getting used to how much i can milk yeah <laughs> you know <laughs> but uh one drawback about um everyone working from home is the nonstop flood of conference calls. Nonstop. Oh I feel like it's, yes. it's accelerated 10 times the amount yeah. of conference calls I've had before. Yeah. And, and you know what? The other cool thing is as long as you tell, if somebody needs to talk to you, I just like to tell them, put it on my calendar. Yeah. Put, you know, 15 minute block on my calendar. Just, just, I'll even put it on our calendar. Right. Just, just put it on the outlook calendar. To, so so somebody like Doug looking at the test, uh, <laughs> looking at uh, people's calendars says, oh, man, he's got a meeting there. He must be busy. They're, they must be getting stuff done. You know, so if somebody needs to talk to me, put it on my calendar. Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> so that's cool, too. But uh, no, that's been great. Um, and something outside of working from home. Um, but uh, a lot of people around the nation are quarantined, you know, on lockdown. Uh, or have like some sort of uh, um, 
man, what's the word for like when you were a kid and your parents wanted you back at a curfew? Oh, um, yeah. And my buddy Colin, who you may or may not remember him, but Colin was my friend from college, mm-hmm. is my friend from college, who is a video game streamer, but also streamed uh, and did announcing for the AMT ping pong tournament. Oh, sure. Yeah. Remember that? I remember him. Anyway, yeah. he's got a podcast too now. Okay. Um, cool. And it's it's cool. Like they, yeah. they talk about anything. And he had me as a guest uh on his podcast. And he had me talk about our podcast for a little bit. And it was cool when we started really professional and then we unraveled pretty quickly <laughs> back to our old old college self. So it was fun. But uh, you know, I gotta say, uh it, it's been fun being featured and having as many people reach out to us for, you know, because of our podcast as there have been. Yeah. So, I mean, cause you and I, we, you know, a couple of weeks back before the whole quarantine really went down is we, we did uh, that podcast with uh, the NSF and, and Mike. That's right. We did. We did a, uh, a podcast that discussed uh, latest technologies that's relevant to the technician on the operator floor. Uh, and uh, Mike is uh, getting funding from the NSF to host that podcast and do a bunch of interviews through the industry. Uh, and we'll post a link once it's, um, uh, public, uh, but that was a really fun interview talking about like the hype around 5G and uh, artificial intelligence and cybersecurity. Some really interesting topics. Yeah, it was a really on on point uh, podcast. I liked how how much it it actually talking about that stuff with Mike um, was felt very much like attending some of the uh, um, the industry conferences. Oh, from- sure back in the day, I should say back in the day from like a couple of years ago. <laughs> like, uh, I remember, you know, the very last, uh, MC squared that we did. Oh yeah. Uh, we talked about a lot of those topics, but sure. obviously the time and technology has changed since then. So it was, it was a very nice podcast and I recommend, uh, you know, anybody listening that's in our industry that, you know, kind of misses those conferences like MC squared and, you know, or, or Jones and for MFG, um, that can't go this year because of coronavirus, you know, that, that's a good podcast to listen to, I think. Good. Yeah. Maybe we'll add a show and we'll add a, a link to his overall podcast. Uh, Definitely. Um, I'm looking forward to that one going live. So um, test bed is still down. We're still uh, working remotely, no access to it. Yeah. Test bed still down. I think Russ is going to head into the office just to grab the raspberry pies. So yep. they can do uh, him and Sharab can do uh the version 1.6 rollout. Okay. Um, I told him, you know, where the new Raspberry Pi is. Um, speaking of my Raspberry Pi, mine is actually shut down right now. I had left it on only because um, I, I was doing a lot of testing and figured, why turn it off? Uh, it doesn't make any noise. But the thing is, and a lot of as there's, it's well documented on the internet and in makerspace forums that the Raspberry Pi 4B runs hot. And okay. I think I was probably a half hour to an hour into just web surfing and YouTube video watching when, uh, I got the indicator on the top right <laughs> corner of my television screen yep. that uh, the processor was overheating or not overheating, but it's, it's being throttled due to temperature Sure, and check the temps and it's running at a solid 82 degrees Celsius. So that thing is boiling, not boiling, but nearly it's pretty hot. And, and yeah, and it's just like, oh, man, 
I really want this thing to work out. So now I'm jonesing for a liquid cooled gaming PC. <laughs> That's a mild step up. <laughs> to put it lightly. Yeah, I, I'll tell you what. It's fun. I love it. The uh, growth of liquid P- uh, cooling PC is mind blowing because I've, I've, I've got a, a computer that's liquid cooled also. And yeah. it's so quiet compared to previous generations that I have had. I can't imagine going back to an air cooled system. Yeah. It's, it, it's mind blowing how quiet it is. I've heard in some cases that like that there are some like like pre builds that have uh, liquid cooling, or even you know custom builders who've who've built a, a liquid cooled PC, and will complain that well it's still loud because guess what has to cool the liquid a fan <laughs> and like so it, it just sure. sounds like sure. you know you didn't think through the internals of your actual like, yeah they've case, got they've got some serious case. flaws if they complain about that. Yeah. I yeah. mean, if it's open and there's enough cable management uh, so that like, you know, cables aren't getting in the way of like the fans and the airflow. And if maybe somebody implemented some CFD, which is available <laughs> to literally everybody. And I'm just kidding. But, uh, you know, then you wouldn't have a problem with the internal aerodynamics to a PC, <laughs> to a gaming PC. But have you had it? So you, 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 you like liquid cooling. You're a uh, spokesperson for it, if you would. I would. I feel like it's the most efficient way to cool a computer. And plus, if you're looking at any kind of overclocking, there's a lot of headroom on the cooling so you don't get thermal throttling. So Interesting. While oh, wow. Even if you don't overcool, your temperatures are so much cooler that you could theoretically say that the life will be increased because you're not anywhere near sure. limiting. Um, it's quieter. So the most cases you'll go from like four or five uh, fans down to one or two and you can go s- slower. Gotcha. Um, okay, even, that makes sense. Even better is if you can uh, liquid cool the graphics processor. So that's yeah. not common, but it's a it's getting there. So yeah, I've seen a few Gucci PCs from back in the day that 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 did that. In fact, that's where I originally thought liquid cooling was used for was the GPU and not the CPU itself. But yeah. again, I'm learning a lot more about computers because yeah. of the Raspberry Pi and the test bed being on hold. Good. But uh, one th- this isn't. You know, this is the Tech Trends podcast. This isn't the, you know, build your own PC <laughs> podcast. But I do have one more question before we get back on topic. Yeah, man, shoot. Liquid-cooled PCs. How long have you had yours? Uh, let's see. I moved 2008, probably 2010. No. Okay. Yeah, 2010. So it's about 10 years old now? About 10 years old, yeah. Okay. And th- this is my actual question. That wasn't the real question. Okay. Um, how often do you change the coolant? In a liquid cooled PC, I've never. Changed Have you it. changed? I've it never changed. It. This could be a flaw <laughs> in my processing or in my uh, planning. I've never changed the liquid. It's not so. Uh, the I've seen the cases where the, you're supposed to change it. Uh, there's no additive to the coolant, so it's all closed loop. Um, uh, so there's no dyes or anything like that to uh, make it look better. Yeah, uh, and it, I think it's just water. Um, like that, distilled water. Yeah, it's just distilled water. Uh, my bought mine pre-built. Uh, yeah. Uh, probably something I should look into, but I'm not. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, you haven't had any issues. So why no, look into I've it? never had issues. I, and I have been doing some overclocking recently. It's a mild overclocking. Um, right. And it, it's been auto-tuning uh, the over overclocking speed. So it's been defining a target and shooting it uh, and achieving that. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yep. Well, I think you've, I think I'm still sold on pre-built. Yeah. So. Let's get in some articles, man. I got yes, uh, please. one about printed electronics. Uh, this yeah, tell me about that, from, man. Uh, 
a self-descriptive website, Printed Electronics World, uh, talks about the conductive ink. And I, I thought this was a really interesting article. One, they have a really, really bad use case that they talk to, and I'll get to that in a second. But the idea of um, conductive carbon uh, being able to print on very thin or flexible substrates is pretty interesting. So um, if you could imagine being able to put sensors on like a conformal part of an automotive uh, um, panel or anything that has a really unique shape that's uh, actually very difficult to put a sensor in. These yeah. guys are uh, producing an ink that allow you to do that. And while, you know, there's a manufacturing USA Institute called Netflix, which has been around for a little bit that has been obviously exploring this and printed flexible electronics have been around for a minute. But yeah. the point that the article makes is this, um, material is now being commercialized. <clears throat> so what that allows you to do is reduce the cost of acquiring this material. That reduction of cost allows for more significant growth of applications. So one of the unfortunate use cases they talk about is a smart diaper for babies. No way. Which kind of irritated me. Uh, it's just the logic in me. And also the solution. So uh, I have I have a five-year-old, so she was wearing disposable wipers when she was a little kid. Uh, and those diapers had a little... Um, uh, indicator that will turn blue when she peed is probably the chemicals in pee like your uh, right some, some chemicals that change the color so the smart like diaper the already made exists. a litmus paper yeah exactly the di- that that technology exists don't show tell me you want to put a sensor in a diaper to solve a problem that already exists give me something else so they talk about other use cases on uh, in the article like, like putting into very very hard um to reach places in automotive or uh where yeah. the backing is very unique um it could be on the surface. Um, and they also talk about um, it. Uh, you, so it being a sensor and also uh, gathering information, um, a use case, but also it being a, a heater also. So if you have a larger panel of this, say, printed maybe on like a, the hood of a car or on a, on a roof of a car. Or the wing. Have, or the wing, yeah. And you have to heat up like an element, maybe you have like solar panels on top or some kind of electronics that you have to maintain a certain temperature. Uh, this is another application where they could do that on premises, on on point of use. So I thought that was really interesting that the um, that the conductive ink has come that far along that's being uh, used in commercial yeah. applications. That's awesome. Like, you know, a lot of, a lot of those... Uh, those pop-up spoilers on fancy cars like Porsches, those are designed to, you know, come to be deployed at like 60 miles an hour and then come back down once you get below 40 miles an hour. What if it wasn't speed variable, but it was actually controlled by the ECU? Right. And the ECU was able to use one of those printed uh, circuits to measure airflow over the wing yeah depending on the speed of the vehicle and thus it can run a calculation on downforce available yeah i really like, like that a, would be pretty wild i really like active aerodynamics too like the pagani is so cool yeah, yeah. The, the front uh diffusers front uh, uh spoilers that actively move around to help you slow down and uh right rotate Oh man, the Pagani Wyra. I'm so pumped <laughs> that you mentioned that in the podcast, just because when we send this to rev.com for them to transcribe it, I want to see them uh, spell Wyra properly. <laughs> Nobody can. Nobody can pronounce it properly either. It's tough. Uh, Nobody you got, can. You got an article on uh, Cloud Robots? Yes. All right. So I found um, an article from automationworld.com on hum- humanoid collaborative robot. Nice. And you've kind of heard of these before. 
Um, you know, years ago, there were humanoid robot competitions from like universities and different research labs trying to make a, a human uh, size, a humanoid robot doing tasks. And these videos were hilarious because you saw these robots fall over and then they would continue trying to do their task, not realizing that they were on their side on the ground. <laughs> and then, you know, a couple of years later, um, Boston Dynamics started releasing their videos of their really creepy but yet really awesome robots that it's like, okay, these are creepy right now, but please just put a use case in the video so we can understand the purpose of it instead of like scaring people. And and, and then like, you know, Boston, Boston Dynamics last year in 2019 finally released Spot onto the market. So if you have a use for Spot, and I'm sure their website, you know, gives some examples of use cases, you know, you could buy this robot dog that could actually do things. But now another uh, company enters the game and it's called, the company's called Agility Robots. Okay. And I believe their humanoid collaborative robot is called Digit. Hmm. And even though this is like the same type of robot, it's a humanoid bipedal robot, kind of like something that you would see out of Boston Dynamics or there's old university robotics competitions. Um, this one, I don't know why, but I wanted to bring this one up. I don't find these robots creepy. Oh, really? There's, it, 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 to me, it looks like a universal robots collaborative robot arm just with another arm, a torso, this like vision system as a head and inverted bipedal legs. Okay. And it's just, it, there's something about it that's, I don't, I don't want to say comforting, but it's just not <laughs> creepy. Okay. It doesn't seem weird. And so it's a cool video to watch. It's only like a, a minute and 10 seconds of just well, like the robotic demo. And yeah. there's like a paragraph of the article. I, I think there are a couple of things that uh, it avoids the uncanny valley uh, in terms of. So if you look yeah. at like animation, oh, yeah. like Polar Express is your best example of <laughs> it's supposed to be really good, but everyone is just turned off by how how weird it looks and i think it's, you, and it's weird because it's too realistic it's, they try to be too realistic they don't go full on cgi they they get close and it's in that weird place where like that's gross <laughs> right uh, right you can either have toy story yeah or you can either have a live action movie that is supplemented by cgi to make something look like it's live action right Yep. Then Polar Express was like, this is live. This looks like live action. Please don't do that ever don't again. It. And this robot, it doesn't get into the Uncanny Valley because it doesn't have a head. I mean, it's a biped. But no, the, it just looks like a humanoid collaborative robot. Yeah. And the term humanoid, I mean, there's two legs, two arms and a torso. That's not like that's a human. It's like it def the definition of humanoid is that. And it, it's cool. It's interesting. It's uh, and there's no hands on it. It's got little nubs as kind of hands. Yeah. And, it's got little rubber, like, like, like would look like rubber tennis balls, yeah. you know, if, like you'd <laughs> see on like band. a walker, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, but that's how it picks stuff up. It doesn't have like an end effector. So yeah. you don't need to yeah. program an end effector on its hands. You know, yeah. it just has, it, it's meant to move boxes. It's meant to unload and load trucks. And I think the department of defense is doing the best job of defining use cases that, uh, trickle down to the need for uh, these type of robots. So like Spot, uh, the digital, uh, the uh, Boston Dynamics uh, yeah. animal, using that as a uh, equipment carrier. So if you got troops in the field right. and you have 500 pounds of stuff, just put it on Spot and he'll walk I, along with you. I do love Spot, by the way. Yeah. I, you know, I talk a lot of smack about Boston Dynamics just because like 
all of their their excellent testing that they do, their quality assurance testing sure. to make sure those robots work flawlessly seems really abusive. <laughs> and it's just like this robot's gonna come back and attack everybody. <laughs> but like, but like those those robots are so cool. Yeah, I would love yeah. Spot. <laughs> So if I've it got, wasn't like it's probably like a hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> I'm sure they're very expensive. Uh, so the article I've got is uh, talking about making robots smarter. So it, it's kind of cool. a, in addition to uh, your article uh, where mine talks more and more about the underlying technology. So if I've got a device um, that we're looking to implement uh, some level of autonomous uh, actions or artificial intelligence, um, it could be a single robotic arm. It could be a automated ground vehicle, or it could be a, a bipod or a quad pod uh, robot like the ones you've described. Uh, this talks about uh, the processing power required to achieve some of the computational needs that's required for almost real time analysis. Right. So uh, this article talks about a uh, um, it's from electronics design. Um, and it talks about uh, a process from Texas Instruments where uh, it kind of outlines all the different communication flows and all mm-hmm. the different information that's kind of being processed uh, in the different spots on the board itself. So it talks about uh, using the risk architecture for defining what the overall board looks like. And then it, it highlights different parts of the board that are handling uh, like video acceleration or processing. Uh, there's even a side section on um, um, security. So it's doing um, cryptograph uh, analysis as for the data that's coming in, make sure it's secure. Um, so it, it, the article gives you a really good idea of the amount of, amount of information that has to be processed for kind of real-time processing and where it lies on the on the board. Um, and I, I thought this was useful for people that are getting into so if i have a robot and i want to do an additional level of uh, autonomous control i I think this article uh brings up some really good uh, thoughts on uh, what you would ask for in terms of um hardware to support uh the robot itself so if you have the robot robotic arm if you have a vision sensor great uh the end effect of that that's 80 percent of the thing now you need the brains behind it to being able to handle the machine learning uh, algorithms plus all the vision systems and all the uh, sonic sensors, ultra, ultrasonic sensors, so you know uh, what's going around you. And I thought this gives a really good overview of what's required and hmm. helps you ask questions in the future of, okay, what does the board look like? Not what does the end effector look like? What does the uh, arm look like? It's what does the board look like that's going to handle all these processors? Yeah. So the the board that's required on uh, the agility robots probably pretty intense and probably very custom, but uh, these are commercial products that are available now. So I think these are uh, similar to the uh, um, to the conductive ink. Uh, there's a lot of companies making uh, standardized products that this will reduce the cost of implementing uh, autonomous machines. Right. It's crazy to think that like you know you look at a robot like Spot or yep. this agility robot Digit. Um, and think that there's there's parts in there that are off the shelf. Yeah, <laughs> it's amazing. And it, yeah, yeah, I completely agree. It looks like a, a custom science project. Yeah. No. So talk to me about uh, 3D printed nasal swabs. Yeah, that's the last one I got from uh, 3D Printing Network or 3D Printing Media Network. They, um, amidst all of this, uh, the coronavirus stuff going around the world, um, This is how 3D printed nasal swabs could support the widespread COVID-19 testing. So the last podcast I mentioned how um, 
3D printing companies around the world uh, started in Italy um, with 3D printing the uh, the ventilator valves yeah. for uh, for uh, coronavirus patients. Now they're trying to now additive companies are getting ahead of it and um, 3D printing the swabs to actually diagnose people to test people cool. whether or not they have coronavirus. So I think the coolest thing of the, the, the greatest thing that we are making that our industry is making of such a terrible time right is additive is the hero right now <laughs> yeah. first we were printing the ventilators sure now we're pr- uh, printing the test devices sure like what's next what is additive <laughs> gonna do next yeah that is a good point that you bring up like, that uh the... one of the hugest problems not necessarily problem with additive but like it's it's like the question of additive is like okay this is a great technology. What are we going to use it for? Right. This pandemic has been has had an answer for additive. <laughs> and, it's wild. And it is great to see the uh, acceleration of this equipment. So conceptually, it's probably not the best process for producing millions and millions of parts, right? Uh, no. But in a pinch where the other pipelines are full, being able to yeah. offload to this uh, equipment that may be down or not used, being able to channel that into this is really really productive right that's really cool and like you know with the thing with the ventilators the ventilator is that's that's a complex part so they can only make so many of them right in one additive bed of an additive machine a 3d printer um as for these swabs if you look at the picture that's included in the article there's like i don't know how many there are i I assume (laughs) there's a couple hundred on that one uh um uh, machine sure so they're making they're printing them in massive batches yeah and they're doing the vat polymerization where yeah that's that's it that's it's a super mm -hmm. fast process very fast and they're making a lot in one go yeah so i mean you know, I'm kind of like eating my words here saying, you know, telling so many people, you know, the past few years that yeah, additive is an ideal for mass production. And people have told me additive is an ideal for mass production. Then what is this? <laughs> yeah, uh, I do want I, I want to bring up this other um, interesting point where uh, one of the manufacturing USA institutes America makes has a uh, call on the industry for collecting all this information. So they have three sections where people contribute. So they want to get what are the needs so healthcare providers can submit. Uh, like a individual hospital can submit their needs so they can say, we need face shields. We need this, right? Yeah. Uh, designers can submit your designs or your capabilities and manufacturers can submit your uh, manufacturing capabilities into this one repository. And they're going to work as a matchmaker with the FDA to help source the parts that are needed to the people that are needed. So there's quite right. a few groups like this America makes, and we'll conclude the links in the show notes that if you're able to c- contribute towards it, put in your information and then they'll contact you. I thought that was yeah. really cool. And, and, you know, before we wrap up with this article or wrap up with the podcast in general, I just want to say that, you know, as awesome as it's been seeing Additive be like this hero uh, during this time, um, we also got to give big thanks to, you know, uh, the men and women of the healthcare services industry, like the people in the hospitals that are taking care of all these peoples. Uh, I know your wife does a lot. She, she, she's she's a, uh, a practitioner, right? Yeah, she was. So she works at uh, the hospital in uh, Fairfax. Uh, she was in the administrative side, so she does um, capacity Still logistics. Though, man. And she's there. 
she's there and that's one of the reasons we're we're isolating ourselves is you know to prevent us be from, from being carriers yeah because uh, she has a high potential of getting it at the hospital but it's interesting that the problem that they're facing is on the administrative side is just capacity, right? There's only yeah. so many ventilators, there's only so many rooms where you can isolate these patients. Mm-hmm. Uh, so while you have the the bedside nurses that are overstressed and wearing these super difficult outfits for hours on end to some of the administrative staff that are pulling their hairs out to figure out, I've got 10 new patients in today. I didn't plan on it. Where do I put these people? So yeah. it's, a, it's a very stressful situation for the healthcare industry in general. I can't imagine. And they are killing it right now. Yeah. Like they're doing an awesome job um, and not just them and an additive, but uh, I don't know if you've seen a few articles going around, but like I saw on Facebook, like I actually follow one Facebook, one of uh, uh, a shoe company, one of my favorite shoe companies, Alan Edmonds, sure. they've like halted like half of their production and retooled their production line instead of making you know, high quality leather Goodyear welted shoes. They've started making like N55 masks. Oh, wow. That's cool. Or I don't know if they're N95, sure. whatever. They're, they're making medical masks. That's cool. They've like stopped half of their production and loaded it up with like making medical supplies. And, and, and it's not just them. There's like yeah. a lot of companies that are starting to make, we're, we're like seeing a, 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 a reawakening, if you would, of like, the world war two war effort sure. to combat this virus, yeah. this coronavirus, yeah. which is really awesome. Steve, between you and I, the only thing I'm great. It's great that everyone's contributing. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the one thing that people haven't talked about is what are we going to do with all this biological waste? I don't know what to do with all these masks now that we're using these amount of uh, masks, but that's well, a conversation for later. You know, the good thing about the masks are, aren't they like, they're probably paper derived. They're made out of paper. So at least they're biodegradable. Yeah. We'll see. Maybe that's, we'll we'll talk about It's not going to end up in that plastic swirl in the middle of the ocean. (laughs) That will have to be melted down to make uh, additive powder. (laughs) Uh, The last article I want to talk about was uh, an article from 3D printing industry. And it goes over a uh, a common uh, application for a production uh, part where they look at saving weight. So they have this hydraulic manifold. It's really big manifold. That's like 30 kilos. um, And which is 60 some pounds in American units. Uh, and they said, it's too heavy. Let's figure out how to reduce the weight. Uh, so what they looked at was, can we uh, grow this part um, and not... Um, and we they have look a special at, guest, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> and they look at um, how to uh, save weight. So instead of doing more, significantly more machining, uh, they decided to grow the part Um which is great because they cut it down to five kilos, roughly 10 mm-hmm. pounds ish. Um, and, and, it's, and it's awesome. But in the design yeah. that they showed, um, and I don't think they really use any generative design. They look like looks like they used the interfaces and the fluid volume. Wait a minute. Light weighting without generative design? Yeah, that's what it looked like. What are they doing? <laughs> it, it, the design looks pretty straightforward. It looks like they could continue the optimization a little further. Uh, but it, it looked like they took the pressure vessel and did some basic calculations to remove all the excess material. Instead of yeah. machining from a giant block, they said, what are our critical areas? And did some basic kind of calculations, which is fine. I mean, you did a your goal was to save weight and you did. But I, I question that. Why did you go to additive? This looks like a part that could be in a welded assembly. Um, okay. 
I mean, you've got some tubes, you've got some interfaces, you've got this flat interface that I, I think. So jumping, what processes would you, ex- would you, would you recommend for, for optimization and lightweighting? So I would have preferred more of a thought experiment to look at different applications. So okay. yeah, additive was one approach. You could take a, a, a second to look at that and come up with your um, trade study matrix to look at cost, uh, efficiency, productivity, and all those things. But the other okay. side is what would a welded assembly look like? Right. You know, instead of doing growing apart, can I break this up into components, make those individual components and weld it together? I mean, I, I would have loved to see that comparison, which would probably be lighter than what you're achieving now. Mm-hmm. Uh, because you could use raw material. Um, yeah, you have to do some knockdowns for the weldments or things like that. But I think the thought process of, I need to say, wait, let me do it. Let me grow this part. The proof of concept, sure. But there's a, there's a lot yeah. of other opportunities in manufacturing that are not being harvested. And I think that we're, we're kind of missing the opportunity, uh, the full uh, uh, potential manufacturing when we jump to right. conclusions. So you just think they, they they jumped to additive too quickly? I think they jumped to additive too quickly. I agree. Wow. Okay. I, it's a cool design. I I got nothing against the design. I think their final product looks great. I think there's a lot of opportunity, but I would have liked more information to know what else do they look at. That's right. All. Yeah. That reminds me of like, you know, a lot of automobile uh, companies when they're making like sports car components. Yeah. You know, one of the most important parts of the components and systems of a sports car is its suspension system. Right. And so you'll see on a lot of high-end sports cars and supercars even that, you know, for the suspension architecture, both like the steering knuckle or uh, and like the control arms, both upper and lower and, you know, their wishbones, a lot of those are made out of like a cast aluminum. Sure. And, you know, aluminum, choosing cast aluminum over like, let's say, stamped steel, you know, it's number one, people think, oh, aluminum parts, you know, it's got to be way better. But you look at the size of these parts and they're so bulky and yep. massive. And again, it's cast like this is an old technology when there are a few handful of companies coming out today that are like we additive, we use generative design right. and additive to print the ideal um, suspension geometry. And now that. That works for like a supercar, sure. for a very high-end sports car, um, because additive is expensive. It takes a long time. It can't necessarily be mass-produced. I'll eat my words again, I'm sure. <laughs> um, but then you look at you know a, a lot of like the budget sports cars can achieve just as good uh, chassis dynamics and handling dynamics using a simple, you know coated and heat treated stamped steel <laughs> yeah. and yeah. the components are so much smaller right. too. Sure. You know, at the end of the day, stamped steel suspension geometries are no, are, are nearly as sexy as like cast aluminum or even God forbid, you know, uh, uh, generative designed additive components. But at what point do you like, it's is saving money and time and simplicity way more yeah. than, yeah, you know flashiness, and I, and generative design can be used for female design too. It's it's another sure. set of your constraints, right? It's jumping to additive is uh, something I'm over with. <laughs> That'll be uh, the name of my next next video game. Yeah, awesome. and it works great works great for the coronavirus. <laughs> <laughs> so where can they find more info about it, Steve? 
We can find more info about this, about all of these articles, um, and they will be linked in the description as well as your LinkedIn account. Awesome. And uh, I guess that's it for this week. We'll see everyone next time. Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody.